0: Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy, chapter 1. It's been good to be with you folks today. I went with several of you to Culver's today for lunch this early afternoon. And my parents are in Wisconsin, so we were acquainted with Culver's. I had worked at a camp as summer staff for five summers in Whitewater, Wisconsin. And that was Camp Joy. And Usually on Sundays after church, we would go to Culver's and we'd have a butter burger and maybe get some custard too. And it's it's good to know that Culver's has made it to Michigan. I didn't realize there was a Culver's on Twelfth Mile, so that's great. But we have enjoyed our time with you very much. We've enjoyed our fellowship, and I particularly enjoy the opportunity that your pastor has given to me to preach God's word to you tonight. And that is my task for you tonight. In First Timothy, chapter one, I'm sorry, Second Timothy, chapter one i we'll to be preaching a message for you tonight that I have entitled, Kindled Fire, The Need for Every Christian's Gift. I was not old enough, I am not old enough to remember this story personally, but you may remember a time when Henry Ford once sued the Chicago Tribune. Um, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, actually where I'll be candidating next month to be a senior pastor at a church there. So I grew up reading the comics from the Chicago Tribune. Now I read the comics from whichever paper Holly gets her coupons from. But I always enjoyed reading at least the comics. It's somewhat of a liberal paper. But way back when, they said some nasty things about Henry Ford, so he chose to sue them. And he actually, that court was right here in Michigan, not too far from here. And when he took the stand, some of the things that they wanted to show him as to why they were accusing him of being an ignoramus, was the word that they used of him, they showed him to be somewhat ignorant of American history. They asked him this question and that question of what seemed to be basic questions about American history. And he didn't know the answer to this question or that question. And in many ways, they tried to defame him by just not knowing simple answers to American history questions. Well, in the... Commoner's eye, everybody saw him as identifying with them because a lot of these questions really, how many people of us really remember those things from all the history classes we've ever had? So it actually helped him in the long run identify with the average American worker. And so folks in Detroit knew him as Mr. Henry Ford, somebody who they could identify with. But even after that, even though it helped him in the long run, And when he won the court case, it was just a few cents that he was able to finally get the Chicago Tribune to pay. I think it was either 6 or 11 cents, but he won, and that was the point. But when it was all said and done, he still felt like for himself personally, he had been humiliated on the stand. He felt like he didn't have that sense of American history that he should have. So after that, he tried to get that sense of American history for himself. He went around collecting this, And that, and he especially liked to collect things from the history of Abraham Lincoln. He was closer to the time of that president. and could still get his hands on some actual artifacts from that presidency. But he couldn't get his hands on everything, and he had to replicate some things. If you've ever gone to Greenfield Village, or you've ever been to the Henry Ford Museum, where some of these things came from, one of the things that you might find in the Greenfield Village, where they have an Abraham Lincoln replica of some buildings in some areas, he replicated his fireplace, Abraham Lincoln's fireplace. And allegedly, this fireplace was lit by Herbert Hoover. And it was supposed to be a flame that never went out. And I think for Mr. Henry Ford, that flame, among the other possessions that he had with all of these things that he had collected, for him, gave him that sense of American history that he felt like he didn't have before that trial. Here was a flame that when it burned, it meant something for him personally. And I think that's a picture of what I would say is true of you and I today. That inside each one of you, each one of us as Christians, there is a flame that burns within us. And it's not just something that gives us a sense of personal comfort, but it's something that's meant to give its heat and its light to everybody else around you within the church of Christ. What I'm speaking about and using the imagery of is how Paul speaks about spiritual gifts here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's somewhat of a personal passage where he's speaking to Timothy, and he's talking to Timothy about using his fire, kindling afresh his fire, his spiritual gift that God has given him. And we'll look at with more detail as what that was. But for you and I today, we can take away from this this thought that there is a fire within each of us that is a spiritual gift that God has given us. And when we feel we should fan that flame, so to speak, when we see spiritual needs in the lives of others, that we feel that we can serve and meet in some way, that is when you and I should kindle that flame and let it burn so that the heat and the light from that flame can encourage others. That's how Paul speaks to Timothy. Let me show you that here in First Timothy 1, verses 5-7. through 7. This is the second letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is in Ephesus. Timothy is taking care of a situation where it seems like from the letter previous to this one, there's some false teachers that Timothy possibly had to even remove some elders from the church, some of the pastors there, and correct a very uh, difficult situation. And in doing that, Timothy was one of the men who was there to be one of the gifted preachers of God to this congregation. And with those things in mind, Paul says to him in verse 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith which is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. So notice in verse 6 again, here we have the main thought for these three verses. Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. That word gift is the same word that Paul uses elsewhere when he speaks of spiritual gifts. It's a gift. It's a charisma. It's a something about somebody that the Spirit of God has given that person so that they can serve the members of their church in a unique way that benefits others in the church and when Paul says this to Timothy we learn from other passages that he's specifically speaking to Timothy about the gift of preaching and teaching God's word we see that by looking at the end of the verse here in verse 6 he says the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands so Paul laid his hands on Timothy at some point And if we were to go back to the previous letter that Paul had written him, we would find in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, that there were actually several people who laid their hands on Timothy. And when that time took place, there were prophecies that were made, or there were people speaking where they were confirming upon Timothy how God had gifted them. And if you want to turn there, you can. I'll read the verses. It's 1 Timothy 4, verses 13 and 14. Where Paul tells him, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So Paul is telling Timothy to exhort and to teach. And if we were to go to Romans chapter twelve, verses six through eight, we would find that those two activities are spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God gives to people. Timothy had both of these. He exhorted and he teach and he taught. When you put those two together, in my understanding, that's preaching. When you teach God's Word and then you exhort. You apply it to the lives of those who listen. And Paul tells them to do just that. He says, give attention to exhortation and teaching. You go on in 1 Timothy 4 to verse 14. He says, do not neglect, notice this, the spiritual gift within you. So it's a parallel statement. Do this. And then he gets specific. He says, do not neglect... The spiritual gift. What spiritual gift? Exhortation and teaching. And then he goes on to say, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. What Paul meant by by that was the leadership of the church where they were at, Paul included, he says, my hands in 2 Timothy 1 as we saw, That they laid their hands on Timothy and it was somewhat of an ordination service. This is why when there's an ordination, people lay their hands on the person, they pray for him. And it's not meant to infuse the Spirit of God into the person or something like that. But they're showing that they're setting aside somebody for what God has called them to do. And for Timothy, it was to teach and to preach God's Word. And in this context, we also see that teaching and preaching was his spiritual gift. Through the laying on of hands, they confirmed this. The prophetic utterance would have been, in the early church, sometimes they gave prophecies, and the prophecy here was that this young man, Timothy, was indeed called and gifted by the Spirit of God to do just this. There was a prophet in the early church who gave that exact prophecy. And it may have been several people, For all we know, but it was at least one giving this prophecy. And the prophecy was, this young man is gifted to preach and to teach. And there were many laying their hands on him so as to confirm just that. So bringing that understanding back to our passage of what Paul is talking about when he speaks to Timothy, he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. What is that gift? We just saw in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, it's the gift of exhortation and teaching. Timothy was gifted to preach God's Word. He says, The gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. We find it links back to that passage and gives us an indicator as to what that gift was. And Paul obviously speaks to a specific gift that Timothy had. But I think this passage speaks to all of us and that the words of Paul are an example of what he could say to you and to me. If we were to go to 1 Corinthians 12, we'll not take the time, but we could just see there in verses 1 through 11, that to every person, that's every Christian who sits here tonight, any Christian that is in the world, everybody has some kind of manifestation of the Spirit, some kind of gift of the Spirit to serve their church in some way. If we were to go to the gift lists, we would see that there's In general, there's service, there are speaking gifts, preaching and teaching. We would see that there's the gift of mercy, where it seems where somebody is serving somebody who's especially needy. Perhaps they have health concerns that makes it a little bit awkward for some of us to go and serve that person, but for some it's more natural and they actually want to go and be an aid in that situation. There's the gift of giving. Some people are exceptionally generous with the resources that God has given them to give them to the church for the furtherance of the gospel or its own ministries in their local setting. There are many gifts in the Bible, but my point here for the moment is that every one of us has a spiritual gift. So when Paul says to Timothy, kindle afresh the gift of God, those words are an example of what you and I could say to each other. That we should all kindle afresh the gift that God has given us. If we were to go to 1 Peter 4, verse 9, we would find that command. He says, as each one, that's every Christian, as each one has received a spiritual gift, same word that Paul uses, a charisma. He says, as each one has received a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So each and every one of you here has some way that God has uniquely gifted you for the benefit of your local church here. And you are to use that gift for everybody's common good so that they might grow better in Christ because of your service to them. Sometimes it's direct. Sometimes people have background kind of gifts where they like to serve behind the scenes. They don't like to be in the spotlight. My father-in-law is one of those kinds of guys. When I came home today, we had just chopped up a tree off the corner of our house, and when we came home, all the huge chunks from the base were just gone. He didn't call me and tell me up that he was going to come and get it. He didn't even ask for my help. When we got home, they were gone. He likes to do that kind of thing for people. He likes to do something where his joy is knowing that they noticed when he wasn't there. They just like to do things that way. And Maybe you're one of those kinds of folks, and I think we all kind of like to do that at some point. But one way or another, my point is that your gift is beneficial to the body of Christ. What Paul says to Timothy, Peter says to everybody, employ your spiritual gifts for the good of the church. So if I gave you a point from this verse, it would be simply this. Let your fire burn. Let your fire burn. That's how Paul speaks of spiritual gifts here. He says, kindle afresh the gift that is in you. What's interesting in the Bible is that this is not the only time in which Paul or others use the picture of fire for the Spirit of God. If we were to go to 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. The idea of putting out a fire. There's a fire that works within us, so to speak. He says, don't put that out. In Revelation four five, there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Obviously, that's... John's vision where there's a little bit more imagery than usual but we do see that the spirit is represented in a sevenfold perfect kind of way and it speaks of the spirit as seven lamps of fire we remember on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them so I'm not sure exactly what this looked like but for those who were there and waiting for the day of Pentecost to happen, tongues of fire somehow hovering above them it seems, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So the Spirit pictures His manifestation there in this setting with fire. More in line with Paul's words for what we see here, in an Old Testament context, we find Jeremiah speaking of the Spirit's work in his own life as of fire. And I realize that Jeremiah is a prophet here, and he spoke as the Spirit gave him prophetic utterance. But I do think what's similar between Jeremiah and Timothy is that they both spoke of the Spirit of God as fire working through them when they were giving God's Word to people. Jeremiah speaks about the Spirit of God in this way. When he spoke of holding God's Word in, that is, when he would not share it with people, he felt compelled to do so, and he explained it in this way. He felt as if a burning fire was shut up inside his bones and he just absolutely had to release that fire. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy to do here. That when it came to preaching and teaching, he was to let that fire burn, to kindle afresh that gift. And I think what Paul says to Timothy, you may not feel that you're gifted to preach or teach or get up and share God's Word publicly with people, But I do think that what is similar between what Paul says to Timothy here and you and I today with any gift in general is that when you feel something burning inside of you, if I could say it like that, to serve somebody in some way, it seems that God is moving you, compelling you, working within you to let that fire burn so that its heat and light may benefit others. Sometimes people notice when the church has certain needs, other people notice other needs. But as God moves in us and we feel a burning within us to take care of a specific situation, we should act upon that. Perhaps you may be hesitant to serve in a certain way, and maybe you just want to check with somebody. You can check with Pastor Jacob or one of the deacons or somebody else who's a wiser, more mature Christian or somebody else who's just a fellow Christian who could admonish and counsel and instruct you as to how to serve in the church. And you say, you know, I see this need in our church and I think I'd like to meet that. Do you think I'd be good at doing this? And maybe they might say, you know what? I think you might be better suited for this. But they might just say, yeah, I think you might, might take a stab at it. Why don't you try serving in this way? Because it may be that God has gifted you to do that and He's moving you, He's compelling you to take care of that need. You're letting that kindled fire go. So let your fire burn. And that is, I think, the main main command that Paul gives Timothy here. But what is especially helpful, I think, is how Paul goes on to talk about the Spirit of God and how he works in us as we're using those spiritual gifts. As we go on through this passage, I think we could ask ourselves the question, why should we use our spiritual gifts for others? And we'll find four answers in the rest of this passage as to why we should do that. Why should we use our spiritual gifts for others? I would say, first of all, because the presence of faith implies the presence of spiritual giftedness. If you have faith, you have a spiritual gift. If you look at verse 5 with me again, this is somewhat of a narrative passage. Paul's remembering the story of Timothy. is bringing some of these things to light. And if you go back to verse 3 actually, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So, Timothy, I remember you when I pray about you. He says in verse 4, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. And he was probably speaking about the time when they parted. Paul encouraged him to go to Ephesus and to remain there. And Timothy does just that, I'm sure, with the bond that they had created with each other, that discipleship bond, where Timothy was a spiritual son to his spiritual father, Paul, that it would have been very hard for them to break apart. And Timothy had some tears there. And Paul wants to see him, but since he can't see him, he writes him a letter and he says this. He says these things. In verse 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And then you see in verse 6, For this reason, the reason that Paul could command Timothy to use his spiritual gift is because Timothy had faith. You see that in verse 5. He says, You have the same faith, the same kind of faith that your grandmother had and that your mother had. And it's not that faith is passed on by heritage. Obviously, there are some who believe whose parents are not believers. There are often cases where children are not believers, where parents are believers. But it is often helpful when grandmothers and then a mother can instruct a young boy as to the way of the Scriptures. When you look at 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul refers to a time for Timothy... He says that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Notice that, that from childhood Timothy knew these things. Why did Timothy know those things? Well, grandmother taught him. His mother taught him. So I don't know if they would have just before bedtime, they would sit little Timmy down on grandmother Lois' knee or mother... Eunice's knee and say, All right, little Timmy, I'm going to teach you the story of Moses tonight. What was miracle number one? Oh, I know. And then he'd give off all the miracles. Maybe they taught him about Joshua. Remember the battle of Jericho? And maybe they walked around the bed and made the bed fall over somehow or something like that. I don't know how they taught him. But somehow they taught him and he knew the Scriptures. So Timothy had a heart of faith, but not only that, he had a heritage of faith. And because Timothy had a heart of faith, Paul knew that the Spirit of God lived savingly within him, which also meant that the Spirit of God had gifted him. The presence of faith meant he had a gift. But especially for Timothy, he had a heritage of faith. So not only was he spiritually gifted, but because he had been instructed, even from the time he was a little boy, as to how to live the Christian life, how to serve others, that as one who was gifted by God, and taught by his grandmother and mother and perhaps others who taught him the Scriptures, he was especially responsible from his heritage of faith to use his gifts for God. By the time we get to verse 6 and Paul's talked about these things, he says, For this reason, Timothy had faith, and he talked about the same kind of faith that Timothy had from his grandmother and from his mother. So obviously, all of us should use our spiritual gifts. And I would say to anybody who's a second-generation Christian or somebody who's been discipled by others in a very close way, that when you have parents who are Christians, or you yourself have been instructed as a Christian for quite some time, that you are responsible to use that knowledge of Scripture and apply it to how you're serving in your church. And just think of how Paul is doing that with Timothy here. He's had this wonderful discipleship relationship. Whereas an older Christian, he has mentored him and he has taught him. And even now, from some distance, he's able to write him letters and encouraging him to keep on doing just that. So here you see an example of this, where how that heritage is built. And Paul calls upon him to use that spiritual gift because of the heart of faith he had, and especially because of the heritage of faith that he had. Why should we use our spiritual gifts for others? We see in verse 7 that this is where Paul gets very specific as to how the Spirit of God works in people to use those spiritual gifts. When you look at verse 7, Paul is just given the command to kindle afresh the gift of God. And then we see that little three-letter word in the beginning of verse 7. He says, "For," and What Paul means by that is, I'm about to give you an explanation as to why you should do just that. Here's some reasons as to why you should do that. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And if your Bible is like mine, you see the word spirit there with a little s, but I do think what Paul has on his mind is spirit with a capital S. At the end of this unit, this section of scriptures, you go down to verse 14, where Paul kind of summarizes everything he has just said. He's telling Timothy, the main command here is, kindle afresh that gift. What is that gift? Remember, it's preaching and teaching God's word. So he says, kindle afresh that gift. You come down to verse 14, and Paul basically says that same gift, or says that same command all over again, but in a different way. He says, guard through the Holy Spirit which dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. What's that treasure? That's the truth. The truth that Paul had taught him. How does he guard it? By preaching it and proclaiming it and teaching it to the church. And in this context, we know it's definitely Spirit with a capital S. It's the Holy Spirit. Guard through the Holy Spirit. What does Paul mean by that? Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who has gifted you in how you guard that doctrine. There, it's a capital S, and I think that's the idea of what Paul has here in verse 7. And the reason I make such a point about that is because it's not Timothy's personal spirit that he's talking about. It's God's spirit, the same spirit that worked in Timothy when he was using his spiritual gift, the same spirit that works in you and me when we use our spiritual gifts as well. So how exactly does God work in us when we use our spiritual gifts? We could learn all kinds of things, but just to say in this verse, we'll quickly go through three ways. Or four ways that God works in us through His Spirit when we use our spiritual gifts for the spiritual benefit of others in the body of Christ. Why should we use our spiritual gifts for others? Because God's Spirit is not a spirit of cowardice. Please notice this in verse 7. He says to Timothy, remember, He's just given this command kindle afresh that gift, a command for us today. Use those gifts. Why? For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. To be timid is to be afraid. It's the same word when Jesus rebuked his disciples over being scared when the winds and the waves were blowing and they were in the boat and he was asleep. And he says, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? If they had faith, they shouldn't be scared. God's Spirit lived savingly within them. They should have been trusting in Jesus in that situation. What's interesting in John chapter 14, verses 26 and 27 is that when Jesus promises to the disciples in the upper room that he would send his spirit, he says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send the spirit, another helper, just like me. And that's the spirit of God. So he says, don't let your heart be fearful. The spirit of God is going to come and you're going to be able to serve by his help. So when we come here and we see in verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. We should not be afraid when using our spiritual gifts. But there are three ways that God does positively help us with his spirit when we use those spiritual gifts. Why should we use our spiritual gifts for others? Because God's spirit works through us to be courageous. Rather than being cowardice, we can be courageous when using our spiritual gifts. We've just had the idea of a spirit of timidity, It's not a spirit of timidity that God gives us when serving others, but it's a spirit of power. God empowers us and moves us to have the courage to step out and use those gifts for the sake of others. For Timothy, he was empowered to preach and teach for you and I. Whatever those gifts may be, God empowers us, and along with that empowerment, there's no timidity as a part of that. And when we give in to that timidity, what it evidences for us is just like the disciples in the boat, that we have a lack of faith in that situation. And if we do have that heart of faith, we should be empowered and we should be courageous to serve as God's Spirit has gifted us to serve. Why should we also use our spiritual gifts for others? We could say because because God's Spirit works through us also to be charitable when using those gifts. We're courageous when using our gifts. God works in us to be charitable. If you look in the end of verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love. Sometimes when you see that word love in the Bible, if you have a translation that uses the word charity in the context of spiritual gifts, First Corinthians 13, when it talks about what charity does or what love does, it fails not, it serves others, all these things that love does. Speaking of love here, That when you have love for other Christians, that is a love that the Spirit of God has produced in you. When that Spirit-produced love is coupled with how God has gifted you through His Spirit to serve others, when you serve others, it's because you love them. God works through us through His Spirit to have love. And when we have love for others, we see a need in their lives. And perhaps it's a way that we can specifically serve that person and take care of that. God is moving in us not just to do that in some dry sense, not just to serve for the sake of service, but because we love that person. God moves us to act upon that love for the sake of others. So we should be charitable. And last of all, we should also be careful. God's Spirit works in us to be careful when we use our spiritual gifts for the sake of others. The last word you see there in verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. If we broke that word apart, it's the only one time this is used in the New Testament. It's the word of having a sound mind. And we don't see this used elsewhere in the New Testament, but we do have a historian in times past, his name is Josephus, and he was talking about a time when people did not have what Paul says we do have when the Spirit works through us when using our spiritual gifts. In his book, in one of his books called Antiquities, talking about ancient times, he talks about a crowd of people who desired to kill a rule ruler. They were becoming unruly, and they wanted to kill him. They were beginning to get out of control, and they did not have discipline. They did not have a sound mind in that situation. In another instance, when he uses this word, it's a book called The Wars of the Jews, he talked about when the Romans would come in and they would try to keep the Jews from offering their sacrifices. They didn't want these nationalistic expressions of who the Jews were according to their Jewish faith. And they wanted to come in and stop these things. Well, the Jews, even though they were serving God in a sense, they wanted to do the sacrifices, didn't really have a sound mind in this situation because they took rocks, and gigantic rocks, and were throwing them at these guys and they were killing them. And then as soon as they killed them, They went back to doing their worship. So, get out of our way. We're going to worship. We're going to kill you, so now we can do our sacrifices. It was a little bit unruly. They didn't have a sound mind in that situation. So that illustrates for us what a sound mind is not. And here, Paul says that as God gifts us, when we are kindling afresh the Spirit of God, what does that look like? When we are using our spiritual gifts for others, we have the courage to actually step out and do them. That when we are using our spiritual gifts for others, it's motivated by the love that God the Spirit produces in us to show that love towards somebody. That when God the Spirit works in us to serve somebody else, He helps us do so in a careful manner. So for Timothy, he's preaching and teaching. What would have been a careless, not sound mind kind of way to preach? Let's say he just got up there and started screaming at people or he started using vulgar language In his preaching and teaching, and he was an example, was not an example of sound speech. That would have been a way where he was showing himself to be careless. And when somebody's being careless about serving somebody, even though they might be getting the job done, it's not necessarily an exercise where the sphere of God is working through that person if they're not doing something in a careful manner, if they actually make more problems than they solve. So let's say, just to give a silly situation let's say the gifts of the gift of mercy that i talked about earlier you might find it translated that way in your bible in romans 12 where it seems to be helping somebody who has a specific need where they're ailing in some way let's say somebody's in the hospital and you go in there and you're just being careless what's this and you just rip, rip some tubes out of somebody's arms you're like this need did that create a problem and you laugh and joke because you're trying to make them laugh or something but you just created a big problem when, when somebody's not careful about something, especially when it goes to serving somebody in some way, they're not showing this discipline or this sobriety of mind that is needed when carefully serving the spiritual needs of others. And I think that's what Paul is speaking about here. I know this isn't necessarily the story I'm about to tell, an instance where spiritual gifts are being used, but I do think it's interesting where some of these things kind of come to play, and I think you'll see how it illustrates it in a way. Two of the four weeks where I have gone down to Wake Forest, North Carolina, for my Ph.D. classes, I've been able to uh, be in the same room as a guy named Jeff Struker. If you ever want to look him up, last name is spelled S-T-R-E-U-C-K-E-R. You can go to jeffstruker.com and find out a little bit about him. He's a very interesting person. He's a pastor. Down in Georgia, they have a pastor who's retiring at the church he's at. The pastor's about 70, and they're phasing him into that senior pastor role. And he's a really nice guy, but he's also a guy who knows how to kill you. He used to be an Army Ranger. And, in fact, if you remember Black Hawk Down, he was the one who was driving the front Humvee into that situation where they went to get some wounded soldiers back. So bullets flying around everywhere missiles even flying around, blowing things up, and God providentially did not let him get killed in that situation, as many were in that situation, where he went in there and other situations where he had to be extremely careful and exercise a lot of courage. You can only imagine what army rangers sometimes face. Well, in that situation, think about some of the parallels to this passage. He had to have courage. It's not just any of us would want to walk somewhere where bullets and missiles are flying around. Not only that, but he had to drive that front vehicle going in there in a hostile territory. I don't know that he would say, being the macho guy that he is, I love my buddies. But obviously he had some kind of care for them to be able to go in there. He will never leave a man behind and go in there and rescue them. So you could say in a sense he had love. And obviously when bullets and missiles and all kinds of stuff are flying around and you could die in a myriad of ways, he had to be extremely careful. So you could say that he showed courage, he showed love, he showed carefulness in that situation. And my point with that is if somebody can do that, and it's not even an act of spiritual service, and it's something in the case of physical warfare, how much more careful should we be to listen to a passage like this when it instructs us as to how to engage in spiritual warfare? Or how to help others when needs are out there in the church. When people are hurting and going through struggling situations. When we serve them, how do we do that? We serve them because God has empowered us to do so. He gives us the courage to step out and help somebody. Because we have love that motivates us to go out and serve that person. And when we actually engage in that act of service, we don't do it in a careless manner. We don't do it in a way that actually creates more problems than it solves, but we're careful, and God the Spirit works in us so as to be careful in that situation. For Timothy, Paul is speaking to him in a preaching kind of context. He says, "Timothy, kindle afresh that gift," and we've seen that that was preaching. For my first sermon ever, I remember being at in assisted living residence, and. I remember standing up there and I was preaching on something from First Chronicles. I can't remember the chapter, but it was the wisdom of Solomon. And I don't remember how much wisdom I had in that situation. But I remember just introducing myself, and then I talked about how my parents raised me, and then somehow I got off on spanking, and then somehow I got off on how kids needed to be spanked sometimes. And here I am talking to a bunch of people who are 80 years old and older, and telling don't know why it's good to spank their kids. They're done with that. They had done that long ago. And I just wonder what they thought of me and how much wisdom I had in talking about Solomon's wisdom. But I I don't really remember much other than that, what I said that morning. But when I was all done, there was a man named Norman Merrill. He was this old Baptist preacher from backwoods, maybe North Carolina, where we were. We were in Hendersonville, up in that assisted living residence. And when I was all done, he stood up. He told me about these iron knee replacements that he had, so it was something for him to stand up. He had these big black-rimmed glasses. and just remember it like it was yesterday. He stood up and he said, that was a good one. And I didn't feel like it was a good one. But I think it was his way of saying, here's a young man who wants to preach, and I'm going to try to encourage him. And I think that was his way of saying to me what Paul said to Timothy, kindle afresh that gift. And I would encourage all of you, that whatever your spiritual gift is, or as you seek the ways that you can serve in your church, kindle afresh those gifts and use them for the help of those around you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank You for this text tonight that encourages us to serve others in our church. I pray that You be with each individual out here. I pray that we would serve one another. We thank you how you have gifted us to do exactly that. I pray that you'd be with Pastor Jacob as he drives back tonight. Give him safety as he comes back more ready to serve than ever. Hear this church, in Ambassador Baptist Church, in Jesus' name, amen.